0: Hey, how's everybody doing? Finals? Finals coming up, right? So nobody's stressed out. Nobody's thinking about it at all. We're going to have an intercessory moment here in a little bit for prayer for your finals. Hope they go well for you. But it's an honor to be here with all of you guys today. This is like a little bit of a homecoming for me, not because I went to North Central, but. Uh, Like Nate mentioned, we've been friends since fourth grade. I picked a fight with him in fourth grade, and he whooped me. And then uh, I ended up having to show up at his house, and his dad was the Cub Scout leader, and he forced us to be friends. So we've been friends ever since. And, uh, and then in addition to that, I've got some other great friends, uh, Pastor Mark Kinney is here, and uh, he's, he grew up with us in the same youth group, and then Jeff Gurnell. nobody knows Jeff Gurnell anywhere in the country, but Jeff, P, we call him PJ, PJ uh, was our senior, our senior year youth pastor uh, at Grand Rapids First Assembly of God and made a huge mark on our lives, And I can say this, I think we all can say this as Abandoned Brothers, we wouldn't be who we are today had it not been for the influence of of Pastor Jeff Grinnell in our lives. So I know that's true for a lot of people, but hey, today what I want to do is I want to talk to you about being amateurs. And I'm going to start by reading this this, uh, verse out of Acts chapter 4, just for the sake of time, I won't read the entire story that's found in there, but I just want to read one verse to kind of set the stage and talk to us about being audacious amateurs. It'll make sense in a minute, but it starts off in verse number 13 by saying this. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and then they recognized that they had been with Jesus. It's one of my favorite verses in the book of Acts because We all know the story, you've been around church, you've heard it, that when Jesus was arrested, the disciples all scattered. They ran for dear life. And Jesus is resurrected, he gathers his disciples together, and he teaches them about the kingdom of God, and they're still a little fearful about who's pursuing them. And so they're camped out, they're hiding out in the upper room, waiting for the promise of the Father that Jesus had told them about. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and then you will be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. And, and we all know what took place in Acts chapter 2. The power of the Holy Spirit poured out on these 120 band of ragtag fugitives, fishermen, corrupt tax agents, followers, relatives of Jesus, and everything shifted, everything changed. Peter stands up and he delivers the great altar call on the day of Pentecost, 120 of them in the room, 3,000 of them are born again that day. And, And it began this revival movement, this ripple effect, by which as they go out, they begin to turn the world upside down. And the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin council and those who were in charge, did everything in their power to understand how this happened, but then to intimidate and to suppress this movement. And so they, they brought Peter and they brought John and they brought some of the others before them and they tried to intimidate them. They beat them. They told them to stop preaching in Jesus's name. But there was something different about these disciples than anything that they had ever confronted before. As it describes, it says, when they saw their boldness, there was, there was this audacity, this boldness about these disciples that they had never seen before, especially from people that had nothing to be bold or confident about. They weren't highly educated. They weren't well-positioned. They didn't have a lot of of academic background. They were Galilean. They talked with an accent. They had a dialect. They were kind of poor. They, They were overlooked. They were underestimated. But empowered by the Holy Spirit, they had this incredible boldness about them that could only be explained by one thing, They had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. And it was who they had been with that had affected them and had changed the course of their lives and now was shaping and shifting culture. They had this boldness. Another word for boldness is audacity. And I guess we could describe these disciples as being audacious amateurs because they weren't professionals in any sense of the word. They were amateurs But who they had been with was more significant and influential in their life than where they had come from. And I think it's an important idea. It's an important message for really every single one of us as followers of Jesus living in the day, living in the age, living in the culture that we are that there is a requirement for you and I to be bold and to find the source of boldness and audacity that is going to enable us to stand against the tide, the currents of culture and shifting morals and values that are happening all around us. You see, we don't have maybe a Sanhedrin council that's pushing against us, but we do have the culture that is around us that's pushing against us. And we're either gonna back down to that or there's going to be something about us that causes us to step forward and to be different and to be bold. And I believe that the answer to that is not becoming a professional at religion. It's becoming an amateur at pursuing Jesus. You see, an amateur is someone who is constantly learning. He's not, he's not come to a, a status of expert. I've been, uh, Nate mentioned that uh, I've been a pastor. We play, my wife and I have been married 26 years and we've got three kids and uh, 21 years ago, we moved from Grand Rapids, Michigan to Kalamazoo. Anybody know where Kalamazoo's at? It's Come on, somebody. It's a real place, I promise you. Not just a state of mind. But uh, we, we moved from Grand Rapids to Kalamazoo, which is a college town, to plant a church. I was 25 years old, newly married, a couple baby kids. And I left an amazing church to go and plant this church to respond to a call of God that he had placed on my life. See, when I was about 20 years old, God encountered me and gave me this vision of what what was way bigger than anything I would have ever dreamed about I saw thousands of people. I saw hundreds of churches. I saw hundreds of leaders being developed. And I heard the voice of the Lord say, if you'll follow me, this is your future. And I was not the one that you would have looked at and said, that's an expert. His future is going to be amazing. It's going to be bright. I was just kind of average. But I, I pursued Jesus from the time I was 15 years old. What's that, Jeff? What'd you say? What'd you say? I you. Yeah, I love you too. But I, but I pursued Jesus. He's interrupting my message. He does this. But I, I was pursuing Jesus from the age of 15. And you know, an amateur, they're not good at whatever they're trying to learn. And so I wasn't good at pursuing Jesus, but I didn't quit. I just, I would fall down. I'd make mistakes. I'd get back up. I'd keep going. I'd fall down, get back up. Made mistakes, made errors. I know it's difficult to believe, but when you're in college, you actually think you might know more than you actually do, and you begin to figure that out as you begin to make mistakes. 25, or I got married at 21, have kids at 23, and now I'm at this amazing church, and I think things are good. I'm, I'm stepping into the, the realm of favor in my life, but then God tells me, I want you to give it all up move to Kalamazoo. I had never been to Kalamazoo in my life. It was an hour away. Kalamazoo is a mid-sized city. It was a direction on 131, Highway 131 for me. That's all it was. You go north to Cadillac, you go south to Kalamazoo. And now God tells me to move there. And so we move there, or we begin to make plans of planting the church. And when we planted in 1996, I know, I know church planting right now is super in vogue. It's like everybody wants to plant a church. And we've got organizations like ARC that will teach you how to do it, and five easy steps, and how you do it. When I planted a church, there were two books on how to plant a church. One was primary purpose and the other was the purpose-driven church. Neither one of them helped me. And I had zero financing. I, had, I knew zero people in Kalamazoo. I had zero experience. I was 25 and I still had acne. And so I'm moving to Kalamazoo to plant a church. And we're, we're driving through Kalamazoo asking God, where do you want us to start? So we go to the population center and I felt like God's like, there's already churches here. And then we go downtown, and I felt like the Lord said, no, that's not it. We go out to the, the most remote corner of the county that is farmland and water towers. I mean, there is nothing out there. There's one flashing light in a post office. And I'm driving through, and I, hear, I feel this impression. The Lord said, this is where I want you to start. And I was about ready to rebuke the devil, and I turned to my wife, and she says, I think this is where we're supposed to start. I'm just like, ugh. Well, there's no place to rent here, so... I tried to convince the Lord that this was not the place, but he convinced me that it was. So I said, Lord, if it's really you, then you're going to open up a door for us to rent some place. The only place to rent was the community high school. And we go and talk to the superintendent. He says, we'd love for you to come. We'll give you a discount, the whole thing. And every one of my excuses were thrown out the window. So we borrowed a little red trailer that we called Tabernacle One, Church on the Move, Borrowed some cheesy plastic plants, some Tupperware tubs, made some homemade signs. And uh, and we pulled into town on September 8th, 1996. Backed up to the little school. And here's what's really interesting. We're out in the remote nowhere. We send out 200 invitations to people to come worship with us. And the mascot of the school that we started in is the Blue Devils. And so the room that we met in is a cafetorium, half auditorium, half cafeteria, and it has a big sign over it that says, Welcome to the Devil's Den. And that's where we started having church. We had an overhead projector. Anybody remember those things? Because before there was like all these really nice projectors, we had a 16-year-old girl who would like change slides and write the words in marker. In the devil's den, I wore a suit, a three piece suit in 1996. Help me, Jesus. And we had 70 people show up to church. My worship leader was on pain meds. He couldn't remember the chord structures to the songs. It was horrible. I sat in the front row thinking to myself, Lord, this has got to be you. Because if it's not, it's not going to work. I was a complete amateur. First person who came up to me, first sermon I ever preached, Matthew chapter 9, Lord of the Harvest. I preached on how Jesus saw the crowds, was moved with compassion. And I thought to myself, man, all right, that was good. And the first person that came up to me and says, hey, we're really interested in the church. I'm like, yes. And they said, when do we get to meet the pastor? I said, well, that's me. Now, we thought you were the youth pastor. I said, no, I'm the pastor. And they said, well, we'll come back when you're about 30 then a second person that came up to me said, we'll come back when you have a building. We can't go to a church where the pastor's younger than our kids and we can't come to a church where you don't have a building. They didn't see what I saw because God had placed a dream on the inside of me. And I can tell you this, when we started, we had zero dollars, we had zero people, we had zero name recognition, I had zero experience. I was a complete amateur. But what I had is I had a dream in my heart from Jesus and I had been with Jesus. And that was all the credentials that I needed to live out the dream that God had placed in my heart. And these disciples were the exact same way. They, had, they didn't have the academic prowess that the Sanhedrin council did and I love I love the fact that we're in a Christian college I I love the vision and the mission of North Central I love why you guys are here whether it's ministry major whether it's a business major or some other major accounting it doesn't matter what it is you are called into the ministry the marketplace is your arena of ministry and it's here you need to get all the knowledge you need to get all the experience that you can possibly get from the incredible scholars and leaders that are here but can I tell you if you're relying on becoming an expert in knowledge to the exclusion of intimacy in the pursuit of Jesus, you may become an expert in a outward field, but you'll always become limited in the inside sphere of your dream life and of your pursuit of God, because that's the most important thing. 21 years later, our church is still in the middle of a cornfield. Now we have two campuses. We have about 4,000 people on a weekend. Like Nate says, we planted dozens of churches all over the United States. We'll plant two more churches: one in Guadalajara uh, this next year, one in Nashville, Tennessee. And we've just begun to scratch the surface. And here's my prayer on a daily basis. My prayer to Jesus is that at 46 years old, I would never become a professional. I've been a pastor. I've preached I don't know, 15,000 hours in the last 21 years, I led a college ministry, I've done all these things that if you'd have told me at 15 years old that you're going to get to do those things, I would think, wow, someday maybe I'll get to do those things. I feel just as much as an amateur today as I did at 25 years old, because you see what an amateur has to rely on is not what they have in here, it's who they are around to imitate and to learn from. And the disciples followed Jesus for three years while he was here on earth. But do you know that they never stopped pursuing Jesus? They never stopped following Jesus. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, Therefore, as dear children, become imitators of God. Because as, as little children, that's what we recognize. That's how we learn everything that we learn. It's by imitation. I was walking in the mall the other day and there's this dad, he's, he's got a jean jacket and he's got a pair of, uh, uh, he had a pair of Air Max, Nike Air Max on and, and he's walking through the mall and he's got his little son, he's probably two years old and he had the exact same denim jacket, the exact same barber shop fade and he had the same mini, mini me Air Max on and he was walking just like his dad. His dad kind of walked bow legged, the little two year old's like walking bow legged. He learned that because he's imitating his dad. He looks at dad and says, I want to be like that. The disciples followed Jesus and they learned to imitate Jesus. And now, because they were around Jesus, when they got around others, they saw in him. When they looked at the disciples, they said, we recognize that walk. We recognize that boldness. We recognize that message. We recognize that anointing that's on their life. And it's pretty obvious that they've been with Jesus. You see, whoever you are around will influence the way that you walk. And if you, if you never allow your heart to become professional, professional, and it happens. It happens in every field. It, it happens in every segment of life. You have this temptation to think, I'm nailing this. I'm getting it down. It's, it's easy. It's on default. You can become an expert in a lot of fields, but you should never become an expert in discipleship and following Jesus. should always be an amateur because an amateur is always learning. It's always pursuing. It's watching the little, the little movements. I, somebody tried to teach me how to play golf a couple years ago. And I'm kind of, I'm, I'm pretty athletic. I like pretty much every sport. And uh, they said, well, you need to learn how to play golf. And I said, well, take me out and teach me. And the guy he used to be on the PGA tour. He's in my church. And so he says, I'll take you out. And so I, I had my bag of clubs and he takes me out onto the, the tee-off box and and he says, let me see your swing. Well, I was a baseball player, so I swing like a baseball player. And that does not work with golf, if you've ever played golf. I have a slice that would put most people to shame. I mean, if, if, being, if hitting a, a ball that went that way, further that way than that way, I'd be a pro. But he looked at my swing, and he says, no, watch me. as I, He keeps his arm in, he, the whole movement. And I'm watching every little detail about it. And I would love to tell you that I got good. I got worse. Because an amateur, which I am, I'm a hack actually. An amateur has to pay attention to the only pro that's in their presence in order to learn the movements, in order to learn the mechanics, in order to learn the attitude, in order because you catch it. The disciples have been around Jesus. What would happen in our life if no matter what we did, we consistently looked ourselves in the mirror and says, I'm not there yet. I have not attained yet. I am not a professional. I am still an amateur. I can tell you that it's it's not what you know that gives you spiritual boldness. It's who you're around. It's the throne that you approach that gives you boldness. I think in our generation... I think the greatest tactic of the enemy to keep us from this type of posture and effectiveness is distraction. I mean, when I was growing up, uh, you know, in the 80s, that'll date me a little bit. But uh, back in the 80s, we did not have the distractions that we have today. I mean, I I have my cell phone in my pocket right here. And you know what I... What I find myself doing is when I have time, first thing in the morning or at night, I start scrolling through Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and everything else that's going on because we're connected to everything. And as we're connected to everything, we can actually spend so much of our time watching other people live out their destiny that we actually don't prioritize the time in pursuing Jesus so that we're prepared to fulfill ours. We're looking at other people's stories. We're looking at their their pursuit and and their pretty life. And and we're blowing ours. And and, and the enemy is all right with you being distracted just as long as you don't become dangerous. The disciples were dangerous. And I believe that heaven wants you to be dangerous. The most dangerous Christian is not an expert Christian. It's an audacious amateur who's consistently pursuing Jesus. Pursuing the reckless love of Jesus. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found. It leaves the 99. See, we've got to live a life of pursuit of Jesus. And never get old and not allow our hearts to become distracted by all kinds of things. By, by the phone, by Netflix, by the busyness, by the fear of missing out, what everybody else is doing around us. The enemy will be alright with you being distracted. But what would happen if the priority of your life is, i gotta get, I, I got to be around Jesus. I've been serving Jesus since 15 years old and I can tell you this. You will never come to a moment in your life, I promise you where you will show up to the secret place to spend time with him and go, I already knew that. I've read the Bible uh, hundreds of times and I still open it up every single day, read three chapters of the old, three chapters of the new, three Psalms and one Proverb. I've done that for 20 years, and every day I open it up, the same psalms that I've read, the same proverbs that I've read, and Jesus is still instructing me. He's still teaching me. He's still speaking. And you know, I walk out of that place with holy boldness and confidence. Not because I'm a professional preacher, but I'm still an amateur follower of Jesus. We cannot allow ourselves to become distraction. Distraction will steal your destiny quicker than hell will. Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. That means the devil is not your greatest foe. It means hell's plans and strategies against you are not your greatest foe. Culture is not your greatest obstacle. Distraction is. If if the enemy can allow distraction in our life, he can keep us from having our focus and learning and imitating his dear children, the heart of Jesus. Years ago, so uh, I, was, I was coming home from work, this is like 1999, and Jane had asked me, that's my wife, she says, will you stop at the store and grab some things on your way home? And so in Kalamazoo, Michigan, we have this long street called Gull Road. I'm, I'm driving down Gull Road, and at that time I had uh, a Dodge Durango, I had a big V8 engine, and I loved that truck, man, it was like my favorite truck, and, and uh, I loved it because it was fast. And I'm kind of an anxious driver. Don't raise your hands because I don't want anybody to need confession or healing in this place. But you know if you're an anxious driver because the people that get in the left lane and take way too much time being a pace car to slow you down drive you crazy. And so I'm kind of an anxious driver. I'm driving on my way to the store. I come up to the stoplight and I'm in the center lane. There's a left turn lane, a right turn lane. And I come up to the stoplight. It's a red light. I stop and I'm listening to a teaching cassette remember those things plastic things that had a ribbon in them you actually popped them in so it was a teaching tape and as i come up to the light it says to continue this message put tape number 2 in so i reach for tape number 2 i go to put it in the in the cassette player but it falls into the floorboard of the passenger side and i'm like oh man and i'm i'm I have my foot on the brake pedal and I'm reaching over in the passenger side trying to tap it to myself and I can just barely get my finger on it. Have you ever had that type of a moment? You're just like, oh. And the whole time I'm thinking to myself, the light's going to turn green and when it turns green, everybody's going to be angry and frustrated at me. I'm going to be the guy that's slowing everybody down. And so I'm like, oh, come on. I don't have time to put it in park. I got to get it. And out of the corner of my eye, I see cars flying by through the passenger window, and I'm thinking to myself, I missed it, I missed it, so I'm just about ready to get the cassette to me, and I hear a horn honk, and it's the car behind me, it's oh, oh, so I think to myself, I missed the light, I come up, and I, I slammed on the gas, I mean, you know, just one of those boom, squeal the tires, except the problem was when I accelerated, I ran into the back of the car in front of me, because the light was still red, boom, just smashed into it. Radiator fluid is flying everywhere. Glass is broken. It's one of those moments you wish you could rewind. And I'm like, oh, I cannot believe I just did that. And so I get my registration out. I get out of the car. I'm waiting for the people in the car in front of me to get out. They get out of the car. And when they got out of the car, they are the two largest men I have ever seen in my life. They are massive men. I mean, they are, and they are walking at me. I heard the theme song to cops playing in the background. It's like, bad boys, bad boys, what you going to do? And as they are walking at me, they are swearing their heads off at me. I mean, it it is not the heavenly language. Trust me. They are coming, what in the beep, beep, are you beep, beep? And 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 I'm thinking to myself, I'm dead. One guy's bald. He's just—he's really coming at me. And they're dressed in all black. I'm trying to read what's written on their shirts, but I can't because it's covered in ketchup and their lunch. They had just pulled out a Burger King. And they are eating their lunch. And then when I ran into them, their lunch goes just like that. <laughs> it just boom, all over their shirt. And as they're approaching me, I'm kind of piecing it together. I'm looking at the letters on their shirt. It says, police. I had run into the back of an undercover narcotics unit that is on their way to a drug bus that they've been working on for a year and a half, and they had stopped to get lunch at Burger King. And then I showed up. When I see police, I'm like, I'm I'm dead. He comes up, what in the beep, 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 are you doing? I'm like, officer, oh, I am so sorry. Don't give me your beep, beep. I said, ah, I was on my way. I, I got distracted. I saw cars. I thought I missed it. And he says, where are you on your way to? I said, the grocery store. He says, where are you coming from? The office. He says, where do you work? I'm like, oh, no. This is, <laughs> is going to go bad. I said, I said well, I... I wanted to say I was a motivational speaker, but I, I didn't lie. I said, I'm coming from Radiant Church. And no lie, the bald guy that looked like he was going to kill me, all of a sudden he snapped to attention. He went like this. He said, Father, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry for my language. So sorry. The other, the other guy didn't know what to say. He just goes, um, my, my mom has a Bible. Now listen, I don't normally let people call me father. But in that moment... I said, your sins are forgiven you, my son. I exonerate you. (laughs) I'd love to tell you I didn't get a ticket, but I did. I got several of them. This is an expensive illustration. But the moral, (laughs) if there is a moral, (laughs) bad things happen when we get distracted. We perceive life not as it is, but through the lens of the things that we're allowing to distract us. What would happen if you get to the end of your journey and you realize that you've looked through a lens of distraction instead of through the lens of Jesus? Looking through the lens of Jesus requires you and I to keep a heart like an amateur that's continually pursuing him and watch the boldness bleed out of your life as you live a life of constant pursuit of Jesus. Would you stand up with me all over this room? And here's what I want to do. I know that there's a lot of anxiety, there's a lot of stress, a lot of of timelines that right now are hanging over everybody's everybody's head. I went to college, I get it, I know it. So you guys are all going to go back to that. But here's what I want to do this morning is I I want to invite you to lay hold of an amateur status from this day forward in your life so that you don't go through the month of December the next two weeks pushing pause on Jesus that you don't go through the next several years of your college experience by trying to attain a professional status today I want to invite you as far as it go, it comes from you in your heart to set the trajectory of your life and say, as long as I live, as long as I breathe, I don't want anything getting in the way of me being a pursuer of the heart of God and the purpose of God for my life. I want to remain my eyes glued on Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith and to continue to imitate him. If if you'll accept that invitation today, if you're saying that's the desire of my heart, I want to pray, but before we do that, I just want you to acknowledge that. If you want to be an amateur, If you're taking that challenge, I just want you to raise your hand all over the room. Just say, I want to be an amateur in pursuit of Jesus. So that's where it's at. Lord, today, we all boldly come before you. We say that our boldness, our confidence is not rooted in our strength, our ability, our achievement, our status. And today I declare over this group of young people that fear is not their leader. Pain is not their compass. Status is not their standing. They are children of God, audacious amateurs pursuing your heart, your dream for them that you had in your heart long before they ever took their first breath or ever had a name. Long before they were ever a person, they were a purpose. And Lord, we set the trajectory of our heart to know you and to apprehend that which you have apprehended us for. Lord, there's a room full of world changers in this place today. Let the peace of God and the pursuit of God be the North Star of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. Really appreciate it.